chapter 8. That's where we will be this morning. And uh, yeah. So last week we left off as um, there was a gentleman by the name of Philip. And Philip had gone to Samaria, and he had been used by God to speak into the Samaritans' lives and to tell them about Jesus. And so, as we left off, Philip had spoken to them, he had explained to them who Jesus was, what he came to do, uh, how he died, and how in his death he paid for our sin and forgave us, and then how not only was his death not final, but he rose from the dead by the power of God and so ascended into heaven. And so Stephen comes and he shares this message with the Samaritans who were a people that the Jews did not like. Uh, They were very prejudiced against them. And when he shared that message, basically many people, it says, took heed. And we talked about how that word heed means to draw in close, to listen, and then to take the things that you learn and apply them to your own life. Uh, I become kind of a, uh, sometimes I listen to things or I take heed to someone's teaching, not for my sake, but for someone else's. I'm like, man, you know, I'll sit through a Bible study and I'll hear something and go, so-and-so needs to hear that. But it seems to me that uh, God's intention is not that we would hear God's word necessarily just for someone else, but that we would hear it and take heed to it first for ourselves. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, it actually says that the things that God had given them, the laws and the testimonies and all the things that he wanted them to do as a nation. He said, these words that I've given you, I want you to put them, to be diligent, to put them in your hearts. And then as a result of that, I want you to teach your children to walk in these ways. But sometimes I think what we think is we we learn something, we know it's true, and rather than applying it to our own hearts first, we want to teach someone else. We want to be good dads and so we We learn something from another dad and we want to apply it to them. But with scripture, it seems that God wants us to first allow his word to affect us before it can ever affect anyone else. And so Philip had done this. He went and shared the truths that he learned with um, those in Samaria. He had been very effective. Uh, Many ministers never get to see this kind of a revival like Philip saw last week in our passage. And yet his revival, the thing that he got to be a part of, took root so quickly and it was very effective. But oftentimes when you do any sort of ministry, it takes a long time before the foundation is built up and it's able to be built upon. But it seems though that Philip, led by the Holy Spirit, went to Samaria and the the thing that he was a part of by God's grace was built up very quickly because Jesus had himself gone there in John chapter 4 and kind of broken up the hard ground of people's hearts by speaking them to, to them directly about the issues they needed to deal with because they had this idea that you could only worship in Samaria and the Jews had the idea that you could only worship in Jerusalem. And he kind of sidestepped that issue completely and he said, God is spirit and so in order to worship God, you have to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so it's not about where we worship him, it's just that we worship him with our whole heart. And so as these truths were shared by Jesus, and then Philip comes along later, testifying to the same exact thing that Jesus taught, there was this revival. So we oftentimes think in a certain way. We think that things can only happen one way or the other. 
and Philip was just used in Samaria. And so it would be very easy for us to think, well, okay, God used him. And so now uh, it's, he's just going to stay there and God's going to keep doing the same thing for years and years and years. It's time to make plans to build a church in Samaria, the first church of Samaria, you know, and then we're going to start a ministry and we're going to name it after Philip because he was the one that God used. And then we're going to continue on to do what we're doing. But God had different plans for Philip, and we're going to look at that this morning, because as Philip has been used, God's going to whisk him off to a different place and use him in a different way. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 is where our passage starts this morning. But in verse 25, it actually says, excuse me, no, I, I was going to read that and then realize it didn't have to do it with what we were talking. Verse 26 says, now as the, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of a great authority under excuse me, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. He was like a, a treasurer there, and, and and had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near, overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him, and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, How can I, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked him, he asked Philip, to come up and sit with him, and the place in the scriptures which he was reading was this. And he quotes from Isaiah. We know this to be from chapter 53. It says, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So, Philip has been used in a mighty way by God in Samaria. And God says, I want to use you somewhere else now. I want to take you on the next step of your journey of faith, trusting in me in this world. So what do we have here? Philip's in the middle of God, awakening this great region by the name of Samaria. And God speaks to him by the Holy Spirit, it says. And he says, I want you to arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I don't know about what translation you guys are looking at, but in my Bible, it has quotes around that. Like, this is exactly what God said to him. But at the end of the verse there, remember Luke is writing the book of Acts. Luke writes the word, words, this is desert. He explains to us, those that may be a little detached from Israel and the geography around it, he says, this region that God's sending him to is a desert. What is a desert? It's literally a desolate place. It's where no one lives. Now, there are little chameleons and stuff that can survive. There's cactus, you know, but most of the time when you think of a deserted place, you think of some place where there, there's no people. There's no one gathered there. And so for God to call, to speak to Philip and say, hey, um, I want you to, you know, this great revival, I've just used you to, to kind of spark on and, and grow. Well, now I want to take you from all these people and I want to take you to the middle of nowhere. You can imagine Philip, if I was Philip, I'm sitting there going, but you've called me to be an evangelist. You've, 
obviously given me a gift, kind of like Billy Graham. Why would I want to go where there's no people at? How can I be effective where there's no people? But God has different plans oftentimes, and He does things in different ways than you and I oftentimes would do. So as this has been done, and God's used him in this way, God's always looking for someone who is paying attention to him, who has his ears perked up, kind of like a horse. You ever walk behind a horse and all of a sudden it hears something behind it and its ears perk up and then they completely turn around so they can hear what's going on behind them. They can't see what's going on, but, but they're trying to draw their attention over there so they can be aware of what's going to happen behind them because they get spooked. Well, God is always looking for his disciples to pay attention to him because he's looking to use us. He saved us and he's given us the Holy Spirit to be power for a purpose. And so the purpose that he's going to use Philip for is not revealed to him right away. But what I wanted to point out is in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 9, there's a verse that says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. I love that verse because it doesn't say he's looking for someone who is incredibly gifted and smart enough to do it on their own. What he says is he's looking for those who are listening to him and are willing to go. And Philip is an example of a person that God is going to use in a mighty way, not because he's necessarily the most gifted or because he's talented or because he can do everything on his own, but because he's willing to listen to God. And so another way to say that verse is the Lord is looking for those who are willing to be used by him to fulfill his plans and his purposes. And it just so happens that when God looked around, you know who he saw? He saw a man by the name of Philip that had been used in a mighty way. But remember why Philip went to Samaria in the first place. It wasn't because he saw people there and he wanted to preach Jesus. It was because when he lived in Jerusalem before that, there was a man by the name of Stephen that was killed, and so he was scared. So he was scared that not only could he be killed because there was basically a bounty on his head, but also he was scared that you know, life was no longer going to be comfortable there. So it's not that um, Philip was this mighty man of valor. It was that God used him where he sent him. He was scattered. And so when he scattered to Samaria, he was used by God. And so when he saw God's faithfulness, despite him being scared and, and running off from Jerusalem, he's just like, okay, God, well, you obviously had a plan for moving me to Samaria. Now what? I'm open because I had no clue you were going to use me in that way. And so now that he's listening and he's heard the voice of the Lord that says, arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza and learn. And, and he knows, he knows he's getting ready to, send to be sent to the middle of nowhere. And he knows also that God's used him before in these ways that may not make sense to him. So he goes. Now, this may not be the case for me. I'm not like Philip. I'm the kind of guy that goes, um, God, are you sure that you want to use me this way? Are you sure that this is even going to be worth the time of travel? Why are you sending me all the way over there? Isn't there somebody closer? You know, we start to doubt that God has a plan, and we start to doubt even that he's in control of our circumstances. And every time that I start to doubt something like that, God takes me to a passage in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. And that passage says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding or your own wisdom, 
but in all your ways acknowledge the Lord and he will guide your path. He'll, he'll direct you where you need to go. And so God's not looking for those that want to figure it out on their own. He's looking for those that are just willing to let him do it. And so oftentimes he speaks to me in that still small voice. And he goes, you know, Mike, I, I know you can try and figure it out on your own. And sometimes you actually get lucky and you get it right. But what I want to do is I want to direct your path, not because you can't take the next step, but because you're in the middle of your situation right now. And sometimes we are in a situation, we think because we see everything face to face that we have more wisdom than God, but God is above time. So not only can he see beyond the farthest horizon, but he can see where the decisions that we're making right now will lead up to at the end of it. He knows the results of the decisions that you and I will make today. He already knows where that's going to land up. And so he desires to speak into time to share with us the wisdom that he has so that the end result will be to his glory and for our good. And so he does this for Philip. And Philip is obedient to go where the Lord sends him. And at just the right time when he arrives in this deserted place, probably not expecting to see anyone, but knowing that God has a purpose, he arrives and all of a sudden God's wisdom and his timing, he's walking and right across his path comes this chariot with not just anybody in it, but an Ethiopian eunuch, a servant of a queen, the leader of the nation of Ethiopia. So as this man's going down the road, all of a sudden this chariot comes along, and here comes Philip, and he looks up, and the Lord tells him, I want you to go, I want you to run, overtake this chariot, and when you get there, no, he doesn't tell him that. He didn't even tell him when he told him to go to the deserted place. He didn't tell him why he went there. He just gave him the first step, go to the desert. He didn't question him, he just went. And when he got there, the Lord gave him the next step. Oftentimes what we want to know is, why do you want me to go to the desert? And because we're so worried about being in control of the situation and knowing what's going to be in the desert so we can be prepared, we're not listening for God's next step. We're missing out on the blessing of just going. You know, I've done a lot of foolish things not knowing what the end would be, but when the Lord tells us to do something that seems somewhat foolish, oftentimes we start questioning him. Well, why do you want me to do that? I used to do that with my dad. You know, it's Father's Day. There's got to be a, a dad story, right? My dad usually always would say, hey, I need you to go get me this tool. Or I need you to drive down to so-and-so's house. And rather than just saying, okay, oftentimes I go, why? And he didn't want to tell me why because he knew, there was, he knew something I didn't. He was trying to surprise me. He wanted me to go. He, he knew someone was going to be there that I didn't know was going to be there. He always had a reason for it. But my first question was always, why? I'm your dad. That's why. Just go. You know? <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 for whatever reason, I just didn't trust him that he knew exactly what information I needed. And sometimes I wish he would have told me why so I could have been prepared. But God's not like that. He knows that we're going to take the stuff we need if he's not going to tell us the end of it. He sends Philip to the desert and then when he gets there, there's the man in the chariot. And he says, I want you to run. Now, Philip's just walked quite a long way. So now I want you to run and overtake this horse-drawn chariot. And when you get there, he's going to find out why he's supposed to overtake the chariot. And so he says, go near and overtake the chariot. And Philip does not know who's in there. Now remember, we're reading the scripture and it says there, he went 
And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, he was returning and sitting in the chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. We know this. We get to read this. Philip didn't know that stuff. He knew he was supposed to go to the deserted place and overtake a chariot. Now, he might have been able to tell because of the the designs or the paint or the bling that was on the, the chariot that it was somebody special. But all he knows is he's overtaken the chariot. He doesn't know that the man's reading Isaiah. He doesn't know that God's working on his heart and trying to draw him to a place of salvation. He just knows he's supposed to go stalk this guy. So he does it anyway, and he goes. And when he gets close, apparently this man was reading from the book of Isaiah. This is the same Isaiah that we have in our Bible today. And as he was reading it, not only was he reading it internally, but he's in a horse-drawn chariot. And so as Philip runs up, he doesn't just hear cloppity-clop on the road. He hears a man reading the scripture so loud that he can hear it outside the chariot. I found that interesting. He wasn't just reading it, but it's like he was trying to pay attention. So he's like, I'll read it out loud. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes um, maybe I'm sitting down reading anything, the newspaper or whatever. Or scripture, and I'm sitting in my house, and Lucy starts just, ah! you know, she just starts making all kinds of noise. I can't concentrate. I'm easily distracted. I'm, I have the attention span of a gnat. And so, <laughs> if I don't do something else, I'm not going to be able to understand it. So sometimes, I'll put my headphones in, and I'll listen to whatever I'm trying to read. And sometimes, I'll just read it out loud. And because of that, I was doing that this morning, Lucy gets quiet, she's like, she'll listen. And so it kind of gets rid of the distraction. So I wonder if he was just reading out loud because of the noise and the road and just trying to make sure he could pay attention because it seems that he really wanted to know what he wanted to know what he was reading. He wasn't just skimming over it. He wanted the information that the passage had. And so as he wanted that information and he was, he was reading it out loud, the Lord heard that and somehow in his big scheme, he goes, hey, this guy wants to understand what's going on in this passage And he wanted to know so bad that the Lord saw fit to take Philip away from this multitude of people, send him all the way down the road, and have him chase him down on the road while he was heading home. That's how much God wants us to understand who he is and to have a relationship with him. He chases us down. And when we won't listen, he'll use a person to tangibly chase us down and explain to him how much, how much he loves us. That's what he did here. He took a, a man who was, had his ears turned to the Lord and was willing to go and he sent him, not even telling his own servant why he was sending him, so that he could, in fact, be a, a herald, a preacher to this one man. And many times we often think, I'm just one guy, how much of a difference can I make? And the Lord looks at it completely different. He goes, I want to reach that one person and you're one person, let's go. So he sends Philip, this man is wanting to understand the scripture, and I know that because in the passages it says uh, that he was reading it out loud. And Philip is offered to come up into the chariot, and the man says, um, I'm reading this passage, and, and then Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he asks him a question. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man answers, how can I unless someone guides me. And then he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he read was this. 
He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth, and in his humiliation his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? So, we know this to be from Isaiah chapter 53. And I'm going to turn there really quickly, because I want to point out a few things in that passage. I've been reading the Bible now for only seven years, but as I read it, I read it every year all the way through, and there are many passages I have no clue what they mean. I'll be forthright and honest with you. I read it and I go, well, I read it. Lord, please help me to understand. And sometimes on those days when I'm actually at that point where I'm, I'm wanting to understand it, the Lord will send one person or I'll listen to the radio and he'll give me understanding. But in that passage, it's described what happened and what will happen. It's written ahead of time to explain what will happen to Jesus. Verse 4 in Isaiah 53 says, Surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement, the punishment for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. So this is the passage that this gentleman is reading in this chariot on the way home. And so Philip says, do you understand this? And he says, how can I understand this? I don't get it. And then he asks a very specific question. He says, is the man, the prophet that's writing this, is he writing about himself or is he writing someone else, about someone else? And so because he doesn't understand, Philip then, verse 34 says, no, verse 35 says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now, I spent a lot of time before I was a believer reading the Old Testament going, I don't get it, and why is this even here? Now, we know from Corinthians that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he says, the Old Testament was, number one, to point to Jesus, and number two, for our learning, so we could learn from those who tried to walk with the Lord in the past. But what I wanted to point out is that every passage in the Old Testament and the New is about Jesus. And I don't believe that I will understand every little portion and piece that was about Jesus before I get to see Jesus face to face. I'm seeking for the, the truths that are in his word as if they were fine and precious silver and gold. But at the same time, I think I'm going to miss out on a lot of the pieces that were inherently about Jesus. And I think... Most of heaven is going to be worship time, but I think there's also going to be some pretty cool Bible studies where Jesus is going to show us the Old Testament. He's going to look at some of the passages and go, hey, did you know that this was about me? Did you know that this little minute thing that most people skip over, that was about me? And we're going to see how intricately involved he was in the past and how he was over and over and over again trying to show his people that he loved them, that he was getting ready to send his son but they missed it. So then, then uh, beginning at that scripture in Isaiah, he revealed to him Jesus. 
And I want to point out another one just because I came across it this week in Psalm chapter 41. David was writing about a situation that he himself was in. He was going through it, but the Holy Spirit, while he was inspiring him in his situation, gave him the description of what Jesus would go through as he suffered. And so in Psalm chapter 41, I'm just sharing this one with you because I want you to know that sometimes when we're just sitting there quiet before the Lord, He doesn't have to send us somebody. By His Spirit, He will give us insight into a passage. So in Psalm verse 41, verse 1 through 13, it says, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. And I said, David writing, he says, I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil of me. When They say, when will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks lies. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes out, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be merciful to me and raise me up, that I may repay them. By this I know that you are well pleased with me, because my enemy does not triumph over me. So as I read that passage, it's easy to say, hey, David was in a tough situation, and there was a man who was his own friend who uh, denied him and, uh, and lifted up his heel against him. He tried to harm him. But also in that passage, as David was going through this time of affliction, you see that this is about Jesus, because what happened to Jesus? All who hated him whispered against him, and they devised against him toward his hurt. Evil disease, they say, clings to him. They called him, they said, you cast out demons in the name of Beelzebub. That's how you're doing all these mighty works. They called evil good. They, excuse me, they called Jesus evil. And then it says there in verse 9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And in there you see the betrayal of Judas as Judas ate bread with Jesus at the Last Supper and then, then he denied him. He he not only denied him, but he turned him over to his enemy so that he would be put to death. But you, O Lord, verse 10, be merciful to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you are well pleased with me because my enemy does not triumph over me. And that we see the resurrection. We see though Jesus was betrayed, put to death, that God was merciful. He lifted him up and because of that, um, he's, going to, he's going to repay his enemies. Scripture says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So when, when David's praying that their vengeance would be had on his enemies, the Lord's going to be the one to give vengeance. And Jesus himself will actually give vengeance on his enemies. He will have the final word over those who are against him. So anyway, that segue, just to say, that was where this week God met me and showed me in the Old Testament. This is about Jesus. So, verse 36. It says, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch, having had heard about Jesus through the passage in Isaiah, the eunuch said, 
See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then verse 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized the man. I love this because the result of God's guiding in Philip's life led to a man who was once lost, searching for truth. Even in the scriptures, he he didn't see Jesus there. And then searching for answers and finding none, he was given understanding in the word of God by this man who did understand it. He used someone that had understood about Jesus, and that man was able to explain it to this man. And as a result of that, this eunuch, this man of high position in the Ethiopian government, he wanted to be baptized. And he wanted to do outwardly what had just happened to him inwardly. He was allowing the old man of sin, that's what baptism is, to be put to death, literally to put under, so that when he was raised from the water, it was a picture of what had happened. He'd been given new life. He realized that he could no longer be number one in his life. He needed to surrender to the will of Jesus. And, uh, and not only that, but he'd been pursued by Jesus in this Philip. So then in verse 39 it says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And then verse 40, But Philip was found at Azotus, he moved on to another work that God was going to use him, and passing through he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So Philip had done what God brought him there to do, seemingly to the middle of nowhere, and yet God used him to bless this gentleman that just happened to be passing through, to share Jesus with one man. To the world where we like to be efficient, we like to meet needs that we see, we want to just work where we're planted at, oftentimes we don't understand that sometimes God isn't about efficiency, He's about effectiveness. And Philip was the one man that was going to be able to go to this desert and reach this Ethiopian eunuch. We oftentimes think, well, things will spread faster if I talk to more people. We think about how God has given us the, the command to go into all nations, preaching in uh, the name of Jesus and baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, commanding all those that are disciples of Jesus to obey what He taught. And it's kind of an overwhelming idea. And we're like, man, if we've got to reach everybody, then we need to get the word out. We need to use the internet. We need to get signs up. And all those things are good things, but oftentimes what God wants to do is He just wants to use you and I for one person. And then that one person reaches another one person. And that, that one person reaches another one person. And while that person's already been reached, you'll notice Philip went off to another. And as we reach just one person, if we just spoke to one person a day about Jesus, not many of them are going to go, oh, okay, I'm in, like the eunuch did. But some of them will. And even if just one, imagine how many people you could affect if we all just reach one. If every person in the world, which... Let's just assume, 6 billion. And we cut that down to a very, probably liberal number. 1 billion of them are Christians. I doubt it. But if 1 billion of them were Christians, and they all reached one person in their lifetime, that would mean that all of a sudden, the number doubled. There would be 2 billion. And then if those people reached one person, both of them, that's 4 billion. It's really, we oftentimes think, well, I have to reach 552 people in my life. Maybe it is that God just wants to reach one. And then he wants to use you the rest of your life just to encourage the ones you know. 
Sounds like a pretty good plan. I'm thankful for the one person, and there was probably many more, that just spent time encouraging me to keep following Jesus. But also notice that the man he reached was a man of stature. Because though Philip left this big group of people in Samaria, he was sent to what many people would consider one man, but that one man had position in an entire country. So basically the testimony of Jesus is going to spread to Ethiopia through one man who didn't even leave his country. And I've heard it talked about before how oftentimes we think about, well, I can only be a missionary to another country if I go there. But sometimes it means that we have a foreign exchange student come to our house and we tell them about Jesus and they, they, you know, they love us, they get to know us and then that foreign exchange student becomes a follower of Jesus and they go back to their country and they share the love of Jesus with those people that they live with. We live in a wonderful place where lots of people still want to come here and do the foreign exchange thing. And sometimes they even come to our universities. There were many, many people that were from many, many different countries when I went to Rala. Very smart people from Japan and from India. And little did I know I would end up going to India years down the road. But my point is, is if we would take advantage of the, the spot we've been given and the people that are in the universities would share the truth with those that they go to school with even. If our kids would raise up, go to whatever school they go to, and share the gospel with those that are not from our country, many of them have never heard of Jesus. Or if they have, it's been in a very uh, sterile way where they, you know, why would I want that? I've already got a religion, you know. But if they knew the person of Jesus, if they met someone that came to them specifically to just love them and show them the love of Jesus, perhaps they would have the kind of effect that Philip would because Philip had an effect on one man that went back to Ethiopia. And that's where actually the church in Ethiopia that's still there today, it's called the Coptic Church. And uh, many of the Egyptians that are in Egypt right now being persecuted for their faith, they came to faith in Jesus because of this one man, this Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, that's amazing. You never know who you're touching just by sharing the gospel with one person. So... In our day and age, with how connected that we are with the multitudes, maybe we've got 500 friends on Facebook or whatever, how many people are you actually reaching? How many people do you actually affect? Are you actually being used to speak into people's lives or what you post on Facebook? I think that I am having an effect sometimes when I do that, but I think more times than not, what I post on Facebook actually becomes white noise because there's so much other stuff. You know, sometimes I feel like, man, maybe that thing that God gave me this morning, I should have just shared it with somebody at work instead of just posting it and be like, well, I did it. I shared it, you know, rather than just, hey, who's the one person that's going to cross my path as I go to U.S. Tool? Who's the one person who's going to cross my path in town and country? You know, who's the one person that I'm going to go see at a family reunion that maybe just needs somebody to listen to? You know, I got a little bit of that the other day at the, the barbecue fest. Got to meet a couple of people that I hadn't seen in a long time. People that I work with even. Got to just sit there and build a relationship with them. Listen to what they were talking about. I know nothing about cooking meat. They knew a bunch. They even showed me this really cool thing that's a cooler. And they cut the tops out of the cooler. It's like one of those square ones, the cube. Super awesome cooler, doesn't leak. But they cut a top out of it and they put two 6x9 speakers in it. And then inside of it, it's got a wheelchair battery. And then that thing runs those speakers, and you can put your phone inside the cooler. So if you go on a canoe float, and your canoe tips, 
Not only does your phone still work, but you can still listen to music. How cool is that? But in the meantime, I'm hoping to build a relationship with him while I'm learning really cool stuff so I can tell him about the really cool thing I know. That there can be peace and hope in Jesus Christ if they will just but learn of him. Receive his forgiveness. You know. And along the way we get blessed with cool ideas of stuff we want to make on the weekend. You know. So uh, Father, thank you so much that you allow us to be a part of this beautiful valley. Thank you that um, many times we uh, think that the mundane, the monotonous things that you have us doing, um, you still have us do them and you have purposes for those. Thank you that it's much more than a paycheck or a way to provide food for our families, but it's our mission field. Father, thank you for a man like Philip who is so inspiring because he just did what you told him to. And because of that, uh, many others were blessed. Lord, I get so worked up about trying to make sure I'm doing and saying and being at all the right places, and oftentimes I just need to go. You told us, as you before you ascended, to go into all nations, preaching and baptizing in the name of Jesus, and teaching all those that we talk to and those that believe in you to obey that which you've taught us, but oftentimes we think we can't do that unless we go somewhere. But the word there, as I've been taught, doesn't mean go, it means as you are going, preach the good news. And Father, we're in one nation and many people are in other nations. And as we go, help us to be like Philip. Help us to hear your still small voice and be willing to change direction when you want to send us to a deserted place to talk to one person. Help us to care for the one person just as much as you care for the whole world. And just as much as you care for us individually. Lord, help us to be just like you. Help us to just be willing. In Jesus' name, amen.